Hello and welcome to another episode of The Philosophy Guy. So first, a quick announcement. Uh, the bonus episode feed is live on Apple Podcasts now, which makes it much easier for those that use the Apple Podcast app to check out that bonus content. And it kind of streamlines the process. You can do it all from one app. You don't have to worry about you know, copying an RSS feed from my other source of the bonus feed. But uh, for those already supporting me in various avenues, um, I truly appreciate your support, and I'm looking forward to creating many, many more things in the future and in life. But uh, also, yeah, you can support me by sharing the podcast around, rating or reviewing the Pod and Apple Podcast app, and all that fun stuff. But enough of that announcement stuff. Today's guest is James McRae. He's the maker of some wonderful poetry, funny and thoughtful memes. He's an author, uh, podcast creator, and all-around creative being. He runs a successful Instagram page, Words Are Vibrations. Uh, but yes, I'm also going to link all of his stuff below from his podcast, Instagram, all of his fun links. So please check out his stuff. But yes, we talked about many topics from the art of creation, art, writing, poetry, the use of myths, the the collective unconscious, the spiritual experience, psychedelics, and uh, yeah, making sense of this strange existence um, and, and still keeping it with the vibe of the show by keeping it kind of existential. So I hope you enjoy, but enough of my intro blabbering. Let's join in and let's enter the labyrinth. I guess the best, I think the best question to start with is kind of what started you on this path or this, this more specifically the form of expression, uh, you know, through, through art and I would say poetic memes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always been creating something throughout my life, you know, whether that's, I started writing poetry as a kid and would always draw as a kid and, um, did painting for a while and wrote, had a blog for a while. Like, so I've, I've kind of always been balancing like artists, like visual arts with writing and, 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 um, I even went to art school for graphic design and, I've kind of um, settled into being more of a writer than an artist, but I've always still had a, a, a strong visual side as well. And really, social media is a funny thing, right? And like, social media has changed our culture in so many ways. It's like, it's changed our like relationship to friends. It's changed our relationship with like self-promotion with how we spend our time and it's really like started to change our relationship with art as well. Like I think that when social media came out, like there was always artists who would share their work online and they would share their art online. They would share their writing online. But, and I, and I did the same, you know, I I wrote a, I wrote a book called shit your ego says, which got published a few years ago. That was my first book. And I would share pieces from that online. And what I've what then what I what I what I started to do is ask like, okay, well, how what does art look like when you're not you're not just sharing your art online, but what does art look like when it's made for online? 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just like a, oh, sh- totally. a slight, sh- it's a slight shift, but it's like, you're not just sharing art online. You're making art for the medium of social media. And memes are a funny thing. Cause memes have been in the kind of online culture for a while now. And the, 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 the meme format has been evolving. Oh, for, totally. I've loved to see, love seeing that as well. Yeah. Like for the past 10 years, memes have really just changed and grown and become really a form of self-expression. You know, memes used to just be kind of like random things that would kind of go viral. Now, I think just in this past year, we've seen a bunch of online creators who have taken on the genre of the meme as a form of their own artistic self-expression. Totally. And it's kind of an, I, I think it's a new art movement. I think it's like a weird new internet art movement. And that's kind of what I, I still write books that I still work on like longer form content, but I've really embraced the meme and like just that, you know, you've got like a, a square JPEG to put whatever you want. How can you make that into something that's artistic, knowing that people scroll Instagram so quickly and you, you only have a split second to get their attention. So how can you work? How can you create quote poetry or meaningful messages given those limitations? And for me, it's just been like a really fun way to explore writing and art. And I love it because it combines visuals with writing, which is the two things I've always kind of been balancing. So it gives me a chance to kind of put those together in a, in a fun way. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I love that too. Cause that's what I've enjoyed seeing, especially cause you know, I'm, I'm old enough to kind of remember, I would guess you could call it the, the meme revolution, but nowadays really seeing people's artistic talents and you do this as well with having imagery combined with words. Because historically, we, we don't really have that as much in the more typical form of art with like portraits and stuff like that. But now it's it's this combination of the two where, you know, social media still gets a lot of criticism and rightly so. It's addicting and, and all that. and But fitting that format of creating something concise because you have to, because you have to maintain people's attention and also not only maintain it for those few seconds, but also grab it really quickly and seeing that combination of graphic design and art and combination with writing format of words. And this is why I think so many uh, people that like the poetic form of expression have found success on Instagram because that's what it relies on. And yeah, it's been, it's been really cool to see uh, that take off because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, I like seeing people's form of expression get out there, you know, cause it's about, you know, what are you creating and, and what are you pursuing and which, which understanding are you contemplating and using that through art? And I, I see that as, as something, you know, like I said, Positives and negatives of social media, but one of the, I would say, profound um, positives of, of social media is that way of people finding their little niche form of expression. Um, but also, this is something I want to ask you about, is is also, I think you kind of alluded to this, where we were witnessing this idea of how social media is forming how people look at art. 
and forming how people see it. Because like for me personally, um, you know, I've gotten into that side of things of, you know, I'm, I'm a writer, you know, podcaster, my form of expression that I, that I move towards is, is word format, speaking out loud, finding ways to do that, which is why I like doing conversations like this to see what kind of comes out organically, but also having stuff that's planned. But also I've been playing more with that short format, whether it's through TikTok, which is to me another form of that art in a different form. Um, but yeah, just just that way of of seeing that where that goes and and seeing myself, how I change what I want to to create to fit that format. And I guess I guess my question for you is is how to how do you look at that? And seeing the balance of that where you're, you're not like conforming too much to, oh, like I need to get clicks and more so forming to, oh, this is something I like doing. Well, also, I think this is something people will enjoy and finding that balancing act. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you nailed it. Like social media is a double edged sword. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's totally it's totally addictive, especially now when people are just like at home and isolated more than in the past. Uh, we spend way too too much time on our devices, but I I get it though because what's important for me is how you use it, not not using it. I mean, we're tapping into like people are like, oh, you're on your phone again. Well, you're not really on your phone. You're kind of like tapping into like the most like um, sophisticated virtual reality that we have ever had access to in human history. Right. right. Like totally. I'm I'm kind of I'm talk I can talk to who, thousands of people. I can talk, I can listen to podcasts, I can listen to an album, I can make art, I can share art, I can get feedback from my art. Like it's so much more than just a phone. But so we can use these things in a in a constructive way or a destructive way. Mm-hmm. You know, just mindlessly scrolling, looking at the comments of some political post and getting into arguments about some heated topic, probably not the best use of your time on your, (laughs) on your phone. Right. So, I mean, I use my phone a lot, but like, it's my art studio. I'm making art. I'm sharing art. I'm getting inspiration for art. That's part Mm -hmm. of like being in the, in the meme game, right? You need to like see a lot of online content to, to like, see what team formats are, are, are out. And like, even to get the humor and the language of memes, it's like, you need to spend a lot of time online to just even like know that language and know how to speak the language and know what's funny. Oh, absolutely. You know, cause if you make a joke on a meme, it's like, that's not the same as like a joke on a comedy stage. It's like a different mm-hmm. language. And that's you need to spend time online. It lands differently. So you need to spend a time on a lot of time online just to get it. So it's really about using these tools mindfully. And like I said, it's my my it's my art studio and it's also my art gallery where I'm mm-hmm. sharing I'm making art and I'm sharing art. So I, you know, I, I think it's great. You just gotta use it, you you gotta use it wisely. And in terms of uh yeah, it's really interesting how you craft content for the internet knowing you only have a split second to win people over right um literally a split second if not less you just can't, yeah. people are scrolling and you got to grab them so you got to be you got you got to be fast and you know i think that one of the i've heard people who are you know more old school criticize like 
a meme or social media as, oh, you can't, you can't like share anything deep on social media. And I'm like, well, it's kind of like yes and no. Like I consider it like it's like microdosing philosophy <laughs> or literature or art as opposed to like taking yeah, like a that. heroic dose of like uh-huh. a deep, a deep psychedelic <laughs> journey. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you read, I don't know what philosophy you're into, but you could, you could, you could read like a, a, a Nietzsche, oh, and, uh, and a Nietzsche book. Yeah. You could read like a whole Nietzsche book. You're not going to get that full depth of understanding through a, a, a social media post, but the format's different. Like so people follow you for hopefully for years. Right. So you don't have to get to communicate the whole book in one post. Right. It's exactly. about micro microdosing content over literally years. So you're just always getting little hits and over, over time, those little hits add up to being a whole philosophy to being yeah. a whole library of, 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 of thinking um, just because you're doing it so rapidly, what do you, um, can I ask you a question about TikTok? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I love TikTok too. I mean, I don't use it a lot, but I, 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 I enjoy making content for TikTok. How do you, and I've, one thing I've tried to do on TikTok is to create, um, book reviews on TikTok, like a oh, one yeah. minute book, rev- a one minute book review. And I realize like, you really can't say much, but you can at least just, share what you like about this book mm-hmm. and that's pr- and that's pretty much it what kind of like limitations have you found from sharing your ideas on TikTok and how have you kind of used that medium to communicate yeah that's a really good question because it, it is it is a balancing act of of cuz like i've experimented with it too where I have started focusing on what I have to focus on. What avenue am I using? And I, I really like the way you phrased it with so the microdosing. And that's kind of how I want to like explain this. Is I've started realizing I what I'm interested in and what I'm writing about or what I'm researching about. You know, I write stuff down. I'm constantly writing stuff, taking notes, whatever it is. Is finding the sweet spot of expressing something a certain way and where to express it at and like how to formulate that. Cause TikTok, if you, it's the same thing as Instagram. If you don't grab someone's attention within two seconds, it's going to flop. Like it will absolutely flop. Um, even if, even if what you're saying after those two seconds is the most profound shit imaginable, it doesn't fucking matter. If those first two seconds weren't good, it's going to, it's, it's done. So, um, so that's something I've learned too. So there's, there's finding that sweet spot of, of maybe, maybe like utilizing a phrasing or even just putting a quote, quote up with some visuals in the background or me somewhere in a cool spot, whatever it is. But that quote, sometimes what I play with is because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an opinionated person, but opinionated in the sense of trying to learn and also getting people to think about something and getting myself to think about something in a new way. So through that, through the shorter form content is, is sometimes you phrase something a little way where you leave little tidbits out because you know, it's going to cause that little bit of bite, that little bit of controversy to get people to comment, to get people to start discussing. And that's the way I've had probably my most success. I still fail all the time at it, but that's why I really like what you're talking about with social media and artists criticizing social media because no one can do any more deep stuff. But it's the same, it's my, it's the, it's the same idea though, is where it's like, yeah, 
this is what's microdosing. People don't want to constantly be consuming the deepest shit ever because that it, it can be work to like stare at a really profound painting. For example, like a Francis Bacon surrealist painting where you can just look at it and see like the details for hours. You stare at that and you need to concentrate and, and try to get to where maybe what he was feeling and all, all this like combinations of things to understand the painting. But like on Instagram, you know, the art and then you get a couple phrases, it's gives you something to think about and you can still think about it for a while, but you kind of get it right away. And you get that little secret right away. And I think that's where the the sweet spot for me is, is finding that balance there and understanding that there's an avenue here for certain types of content. And like podcasting here, where we're able to express our thoughts longer form, talk things out, explain things more in depth. And people are coming to this avenue for that form of expression, to be able to talk about things and listen things more in depth. So yeah, that's kind of the, I don't know if I answered your question, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I think that I it's, I would say that, uh, Instagram and TikTok, you know, to, 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 to give them some credit, they're probably <laughs> teaching us to be better communicators and, and not all the time. Cause again, like you get in those art, you get in those arguments in the comments and it's people just flinging their trauma at each other. And that's not yes. very good communication at all. Right. Like it's not, I don't think it's a great place to get into debates. Like in the, right. in the comment section of a, of a post is not a great place to get into debates, but in terms of the content creators, I think it is helping us to become better communicators. Cause we got to be like, what's your, what's your point? Mm-hmm. And just like, give, give me your point. Like, I don't have time to like sort through what you're trying to say. Give me your point and I'll either exactly. get it or I won't. It's kind of like it's made us like, I always say Instagram is, has, has made us so much better photographers. Like, <laughs> if you, if, I, lo- I love going and like looking at old Instagram pictures. Like, you know, when people start like the evolution oh, yeah. of people's accounts from like 20 14 to 2015 2016 mm-hmm. everyone like and i mean everyone went through these like weird stages of taking pictures and using bad filters and now you look at people's instagrams and all, almost everyone's page looks pretty good from a yeah. from an from an aesthetic standpoint it kind of like forced us to become good photographers and to kind of be like well what's my visual brand a little mm-hmm. bit right even totally. even if you're not like a content creator or influencer so that's one you know good quality of the platforms it's i think it's made us better communicators in terms of just sharing an an idea quickly and 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 getting to the point without too much you know exactly dancing around the issue which which is good and bad but there there's some there's some po- positive uh attributes to to that development yeah there's you maybe have a random thought about this too where i think i don't know if this is necessarily social media but i, I know social media had an influence on this but also the the younger, like the millennials and Gen Z, uh, I always hear this comment nowadays, and especially in um, sports, when when they do interviews, all these old time interviewers are talking about how these younger kids coming in are able to discuss and talk about their opinions on interviews way more than they used to. And I think the the huge factor into that is social media. People are constantly 
it's it's social media is kind of especially like TikTok and Instagram and and even like Reddit is constantly having this place where people are not only reading about stuff but they're having to formulate opinions about things and trying to be a little at least a little bit educated on many various subjects so they're able to hold a conversation with so many people because before social media and the internet you you were you know, you basically, the conversations you had were the, with people that were around you. And if what people that were around you weren't having, they weren't reading about things and having great discussions about things, you weren't going to have opinions about things because you just weren't surrounded with that. So it was very, so the internet has kind of created this platform where it's like, you get to become a little bit of who you want to know about things that you want to know about. And it's, it's interesting to see that and I haven't really seen the. And I want the interviewers to make the connection of like, hey, maybe this is something that is positive about social media. So to like kind of connected to your point is is seeing that as well, where not only are creators forced to grab people's attention, I think we're seeing that effect where it is grabbing their attention, and people always want to be like, oh, it grabs their attention, and it's like all this quick, simple content, and they're not having to think about anything. I think it really does a lot of times stick with people subconsciously to some extent, and it is getting them to think about things. And whether it's social media that grabs their attention, I think there is a translation where people, you know, they see that and they go and maybe find a podcast about that topic or they see spiritual posts, right? And and they're like, okay, well, I want what's what's that all about? And they want to get more into that. So I don't I wonder if you have yeah. like a similar perspective on that stuff yeah. as well. Well, it remind it reminds me of you know, racism, homophobia, transphobia. Yeah. You know, if, if you're, if you're living in a lot of parts of the world, you're not exposed to other cultures. You're just not. And, and you might have biases that you grew up with that you just keep because who's making you change them? Who, what, what's challenging your perception? No one, because you're just with the same people that grew up where you grew up. And unless you really like go and move to a different part of the world, but social media exposes us. I mean, it's, it, 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 it has the, the power to yes. expose us to other points of view. I think one of the problems is people get in their own echo chambers Absolutely. where they follow accounts that only reinforce their own ideologies, which is, which is not good. I think it's useful for everyone from any ideology to expose themselves to other points of view. Yes. You know, otherwise you're just going to be stuck in an echo chamber. But I do think it's, it's done a lot of raising awareness about racism and homophobia and, and issues that people wouldn't have had been exposed to if they hadn't seen them online. And, you know, to your point, sometimes all it takes is a little seed. Mm hmm. You know, you don't need to like give a huge speech sometimes to or read a whole book to kind of change someone's heart. Because I think, you know, sometimes it just takes that little seed of information, that little insight. It'd be like, oh, I never thought of it that way. That's all like changing your mind and changing your heart. Like sometimes it's just, oh, I never thought of it that way. I never heard. So I've, I've had people reach out, like message me being like, oh, I've never heard it explained this way before. Right. So, something just something just clicked for me, whatever it was. So, yeah, I mean, one post is just one post and someone might spend five seconds to, to te- you know, 10 seconds looking at it. But if it, if it, if it, if it, if it, if it touches them in the right way, 
it has the power to change their mind. All it takes is a seed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, you just kind of alluded to the idea of a, a ripple effect as well, where it's a small seed and then you, you kind of create or help create. I'm not saying we create that, but you help create uh, that path that they, that they, they go to go down. And I really like your point about the, you know, the, the kind of, opening knowledge and opening conversation about, you know, racism and homophobia and kind of connecting it to that is, I think I look at how the, the, the conversation around weed and cannabis, for example, has shifted, you know, like five years ago, the, or a little bit more than five years ago now, but like in the last decade, if we were to say that most States are going to be basically have legalized or at the very least decriminalized cannabis, I would be like, you're, you're fucking insane. Like there's no way, but the conversation has shifted so fast that, and I think it's because people get exposed, like on the internet, you can't, although I totally agree with you. It's a double-edged sword in the sense you can go down an echo chamber and you can, you can solidify any shitty opinion you want. Like there is a way to solidify any uninformed opinion that you can find, but there's also just so many ways to deconstruct those bad opinions. And I think that's happened a lot with various conversations, such as cannabis is kind of like the obvious one. Homophobia and racism is another obvious one where, you know, for example, the police are no longer able to get away with what they used to do because everyone has a camera. Everyone has this 1080p phone now they're going to catch you in HD man and so and those are like the positive effects and seeing that and how you're right it's and all those things combined all those are a bunch of little seeds it's creating little seeds of within people that combined it kind of influences influences the network of humans and consciousness and which kind of makes it I think this is a good segue to kind of talk about your form of creative expression uh, but also in in the spiritual format and kind of how you've how you found that connection of creation. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, it's interesting, you know. I've always been, you know, spiritual to a degree, like without putting too much, without putting really too many definitions on that. I feel that around like religion or anything like that. I think first of all, I would just say that I was raised in a very, you know, Christian um, place, Mm -hmm. you know, in the Midwest of America, going to church and and everything like that. So I did always feel like there was a God, like that was kind of, and, and, and I've had moments of, you know, doubt, especially when I kind of like stopped identifying with the Christian religion and then kind of went off on my own there. Then there's, there was definitely a a moment of, you know, doubt and like questioning and a, 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 a lack of faith and belief in a higher power. But for the most part throughout my life, I've always had a belief in some kind of a higher power. And because I've never, and because I don't really identify as a religious person, Art and creativity are some of the ways in which I have experienced um, the idea of spirituality. And what I mean is there's a lot of artists, you know, I think the best artists in any genre, music, writing, art, 
their work is infused with some kind of a divine essence, right? And it's not a religious, it's not a religious thing. It's not like, it's just like, there's something about great art that has some kind of a divine essence to it. And, and, and some more than others, right? Like some, you know, I consider myself to be in the lineage of like a writer, the right, the writing, um, tradition of people like Walt Whitman or William Blake and then and then and then Allen Ginsberg so it's like these like these like writers that were using their poetry as a channel of divine inspiration essentially so it's really it's 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 not spiritual writing it's poetry but it's just infused with this kind of like illumination and that's kind of what i've always that's the work i've always found the most you know exciting is just um work that and i I, one one artist lately that i've been really into that i think is the same is 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 stevie wonder the 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 music of stevie wonder specifically in the 70s when you listen to stevie wonder's music in the 70s it's I, I swear to God, it's the it's it's the voice of God's thing. <laughs> like it's just so like it's just so pure and so he's channeling something beyond himself. Right. So like that's my favorite. That's like my favorite kind of art. And I've I just try to be a as much of a, as I can like a channel mm-hmm. for divine inspiration, for a lack of better term, and then. And then I also use my writing, especially my memes, as kind of a, a bit of a strategic tool to poke fun at. Because the thing about memes, too, is that it is kind of a f- inherently funny medium. And it yeah. is a, kind of inherently um, sarcastic. And like you're kind of you're kind of like poking fun at something. Yeah. Totally. Right? It's kind of, it's a little bit, of, it's a little bit of a provocative medium. Right. So I kind of use it also to kind of, um, poke at, you know, elements of this quote, spiritual community that maybe are a little bit too, um, mm-hmm. gone too far. That's like, I don't know if you've seen, I, I, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, that's kind of why I wanted to have you on is cause you had, cause I I don't know if you saw some of my my stuff, but I definitely am someone that likes to poke the bear of the spiritual world a little bit, just because I don't think there's a lot of that pushback in that space because everyone's all love and light. But sometimes when you all focus on that too much, it goes in all sorts of interesting and weird places that are not necessarily the best for the long term, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, let's continue though, because that's exactly kind of why I wanted to have you on is seeing that bend to your content. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I don't know if you saw like a couple of the, like some of like just an example is like some of the videos I've done. Um, I don't do a lot of videos, but like I, I did a couple where I was like doing a parody of pretending that I was channeling the galactic oh, federation. Yeah. I did see that. One. That was so, that was very funny. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, cause like there are people in the spiritual community that are whatever, Commute like they 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 channel mm. basically they they're channeling alien 
it's from other dimensions and i'm not here to say that that's true or not like right for all i know that they they, they actually are but it's just funny that people get hung up on for me like everything's like a for me everything's like a metaphor i don't take anything too literally yeah right so i guess that's when i poke fun at people when they start to take things too literally like oh i spoke to the pleiadians and they have a message for you they have a message for humanity and i'm like bro like maybe that's just your own intuition like maybe that's just like your own mind and your intuition like i could easily say like oh my poetry is channeled from some you know, ascended master oh, yeah. or whatever. And it, I, that, that's just, it's just, I think it's just silly to put, that's when it gets into a religion, right? When you, when you try to make something too literal and then you get hung up, you get, then you get hung up on the symbolism as opposed to the message. Yeah. Oh, totally. so then people could be all like, Oh, these are messages from the Pleiadians and from the Arcturians and this and that. And it's like, well, now you're just creating a new religion. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like maybe you just like whatever the message is, if it resonates, great. If it doesn't, great. But let's not like start to create new new gods based on new age kind of like <laughs> ideas. It's it's fine. I don't have any problem with it. I just I just have a problem with taking things too literally when like come on, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally agree with that that idea too, because I have very similar opinion as you, where it's like sometimes, you know, for one, taking it too literally. And then the second thing is kind of, and like, this is me just kind of putting my opinion into this a little bit, where it's, you know, a lot of those myths of various like alien formats or religions or whatever it is, is it's a, it's a collective idea that was put out into the world that holds some sort of wisdom to it because it's created in that like collective creative space. I think is maybe for lack of a better phrase, the way to phrase it for here. And a lot of times you're right with that intuition aspect, they're reading their intuition into it and they're taking that out and they're like, Oh, look at it. Like this is, this is literally what I'm doing. This is the thing. This is, I'm doing it. Look at, I'm getting these special messages. And then what often this is where I get my concern because people can do that. You know, I'm not really into expressing myself in that way, but I also do also get a little concerned when people use that idea of channeling a message with using like an authority figure. Cause a lot of times when people talk about that, they talk about that alien form as a authority figure. Like, Oh, look at, I have this, I have this relationship with this being that you don't have. So you should come to me for the messages from this being. And that's where that's exactly with your point where it's, that's how religions are become harmful. I think religions have a lot of good for people, but where it becomes harmful is, Oh, you need me to get this message. Like the priest, basically you need me to have this relationship with God. That's what Christianity turned into. So that's where I see that in that. And I'm like, ah, maybe we should, hold the brakes. Like you can communicate that way for yourself if you want, but also be careful with communicating your message in the sense of, Oh, I'm using this authority figure. So now you should listen to my message because I have more authority than you. Because for me, that creates this instead of like seeing everyone as collectively connected, it tries to create this hierarchical structure of I'm above you. You need to learn from me so you can get to my level if I ever allow it. And that's where it gets into that. I just start feeling a little bit yucky and a little concerned. Um, so yeah, I, I, based on what you said, I figure you have like a very similar opinion about that as well. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I think every, I think I really I really do think everything is just art, art and stories and myth. Oh yeah, and we're all just like we're literally all just sharing our own myths. Mm-hmm. Like I literally think that's what we're doing here on Earth. Like we're all sitting around the campfire, sharing <laughs> our interpretation of the great mystery. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. And like, what's your what's what's your myth? And someone's is I channel this alien race called the Pleiadians. Cool. That's yeah. an exciting Dope. myth. I, <laughs> I love it. That's a great, that's a great, that's a great myth. It's just not a great factual, literal thing to take too seriously. In my opinion, it's kind of like, there's this great old, um, um, metaphor of someone pointing to the sky and they're pointing to the truth. And the whole idea is human, it's human nature instead of when you're pointing to the sky instead of looking up at the truth you're looking at the finger pointing to the sky yeah and you're and you're getting hung up on the finger pointing oh, instead good. of like well what's it pointing to what's it alluding to what's the truth behind it forget the finger forget who it's coming from what alien race or what belief system Do, does the truth resonate or not if it resonates take it use it learn from it put it in your pocket if it doesn't just move on mm-hmm. don't get in a fight about it just move on yeah um yeah so it's 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 pretty funny especially with you know because there, there's different types of truth you know there's there's science you know the sciences and physics you know they're tapping into a more objective world of truth that we can measure yada yada but when we're talking about the human experience, uh, stuff that we experience with our consciousness, all this stuff, we get into more of the realm of like you were talking about the myth world. And when we're in that world, we have to look at truth a little bit differently. Should we? It's almost like you should stop focusing on. Okay, wait is is this thing I'm experiencing where I feel like I'm channeling this being and they're giving me this message and I need to like tell it to the world, but also let them know that I'm channeling this being. It's like, are you are you? seeing it as the truth for everyone or are you seeing it as a truth for yourself that you found useful and through your expression and i think the usefulness is the key it's like this is a truth that's useful for you and that's wonderful i want people to pursue that because at the end of the day that's what art and creation is in my opinion is is finding that truth for yourself and the way of expressing yourself um so for me when we're in this realm of myth and and wisdom cultivating essentially when we're in that realm, it, it isn't about the absolute truth. It's about the usefulness of your truth. And, you know, and to kind of go off that point too, in, in this way of becoming and kind of bringing it back to the art conversation a little bit is where it, you know, it for me, expression and creative expression, that's what people should be pursuing, you know, and, and when people talk about channeling that myth, that is a creative expression for them. And that's great because it's, it's their way of communicating their sense of self, their confused sense of self, and they're communicating it, hoping to make themselves a little bit less confused. It's it's a way, in, in my opinion, this is kind of how the human mind, we we make, we bring our psyche into existence. This is how we, we know we have this realness to us. It makes us feel part of the world is through creation. Um, so yeah, that's why I... I I try my best. I don't always succeed at this. Try my best at 
questioning that method of of doing it because also recognizing i get it that that it might be helping them find peace in this world and it's their form of expression but there's also like there in my you know there's a difference between the self and the ego and and sometimes i think sometimes people are creating their trying to create their ego into the world instead of their real true sense of self into the world if that makes sense yeah yeah i love that and um I'm 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 sure you're like you're familiar with the idea of the age of Aquarius. Oh yeah. Like so like that's another um so that's another metaphor, but I think it's like it's one but but, but I think there's some usefulness in that metaphor. It, it just symbolizes like a turning of an like the end of one age and the beginning of another age. Right. So if you want to call it the age of Aquarius, great. If you want to call it Whatever you want to call it, I think it's evident that we're moving from one old age into an, another age, and there's probably going to be good and bad that come from that transition. Right. But one of the things that um, people talk, say around what what it means to be going into the age of Aquarius is that in the last age, people required mediators between themselves and truth. God, the divine, whatever you want to call it. That's why we had Jesus. That's why we had Buddha and Muhammad and teachers and gurus. Right. Because at our stage in human development, we needed someone to follow. Mm -hmm. We needed like someone to broker our relationship with truth, with God, etc. Because those are the tools that were around. Yeah. Exactly. So if you want to believe... You know, whether you believe in the myth of the age of Aquarius or not, one thing that I like about that transition is now that 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 paradigm of needing brokers is no longer required. Now mm. in the future, in this new age, we all have access to that truth within ourselves. So like, and I've heard this, another way I've heard it described is, and I think I learned this by the way, by um in my studying of Kundalini yoga, which mm. like when, when I was living in New York, I, I, I like went through a teacher training program for Kundalini yoga and they teach a lot about, you know, astrology and, and things along those lines. So that's where I've kind of learned some of these, uh, I just call them metaphors, but they're just like right. ideas about what's going on in the world. And, um, and, looking at even comparing it to um, Jesus Christ coming back. It's a kind of a a prophecy that's been in Christianity forever. One day Jesus is going to come back. Well, according to the age of Aquarius kind of belief system, what that means is when Jesus comes back, it's, it's not a person coming back. It's the collective. So like, Ah, it's not like, Let's pretend like at the beginning of the age of Pisces, Jesus had this Christ consciousness that he possessed, that he was an example for, and he was like the only example for. Now in this new age, Jesus, quote, coming back, what that means is the collective reaching that same level of consciousness together. Mm. So we we become the you know the living embodiment of truth, and we don't need to like seek some leader to show us the way. Right. So that's a cool metaphor. Like I like that. Like again, it's not 
doesn't have to be literal about the age of Aquarius, but I, I like that as a story in terms of no longer needing gurus to like have to follow in order to know what's true. We can just look inside of ourselves. I think the human intuition is the most powerful tool we have. Right. Just, just our sense, our inner, our inner compass and our inner sense of truth. Like, as an artist, I know that's my most important skill. Right. And I know we all have that skill. So I think that the most important thing now is like not to learn anything new and to try to study and to try to acquire knowledge. I think it's what's important now is to unlearn all the bullshit that we've accumulated as a society from the social constructs that we've been all been born into. I think it's more important now to unlearn all the stupid stuff that we've been taught so we can like return to that like inherent truth of our own intuition um that's my that's my hope anyway yeah no i totally uh definitely resonate with that because you know and and for me it's a good point about the social structures because you know part of me understands how the social structures we have were influenced by various myths and metaphors from the past. But I think it's really important to, for us as collectively humans to have an awareness of that occurrence. So that unlearning idea you were talking about, that's where it stems from that idea of doing that to become aware of, you know, that, that idea of, how things get passed down, how ideas get passed down, how beliefs get passed down and they get into your subconscious and then you start acting them out in the world. So when you, when we start understanding that process is happening, we get at least a little bit more control or a lot more control, depending how you want to phrase it and how much you want to put into that about what we are acting on in the world and what we're creating in the world and what beliefs we're putting out into the world, you know, our, our truth. Right. Uh, but, and, and kind of like to touch on, you know, like the world of astrology is probably one of the number one questions I get because I have, I like philosophy. My main thing is definitely still philosophy, but then I have, you know, the spiritual bend to me. Uh, but I don't identify fully with the spiritual world. But I still always get that question because like, oh, this guy is like into other stuff, but he's also kind of into spiritual stuff. What's your take on astrology? And I always, you know, it's, it's, I always give, it's not a vague answer in my opinion. People interpret it as vague, but it's kind of going what we've been talking about this whole conversation where it's not about if it's literally true. That's not the point. It's about, I like your use of metaphors throughout this conversation because I think it's the perfect way to put it. It's a, it's a something created for us to understand the human psyche, to understand our human psyche's connection with the universe. And people have created that. So every time people like read about that, they are pulling from a network of human creation with their subconscious and they're pulling stuff from that. That's the idea I try to tell people about. It's like, Sure. Do I focus too much on astrology because it's not something I'm like super into? I'm aware of it. I'm aware of all my signs. And I sometimes check on it when someone mentions it or wants to know my 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 chart. I'm like, yeah, let me let me do a little update for myself, too, as well. And, you know, we do the thing. But that's the point I always focus on. It's like it's not about the truth. It's about it. What are you finding within yourself that you like, like that you want to put out into the world 
and what are you seeing and how are you creating that? Uh, and I, and I just wish that point was met and understood by more people Totally, because totally. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, astrology is absolutely true in the sense that it is a language and a system. Yeah, exactly. Follows rules. It's like, there's, I mean, I don't even know how it works really, but there's different planets and different houses and, and, and things are, and the stars are always changing and the planets are always changing and it's always there. It's a constant motion. The science behind astrology is 100% true. There, there, these planets are moving and these star systems are moving. And when they align, they align in diff- different ways that follow the year, right? That that's true. And if you like, it's just, you know, it's kind of like archetypes, like different archetypes represent different um, qualities and attributes. And that's the same for planets and, you know, signs. And I, you know, I don't, I don't speak that language fluently myself either, but it's just about like, well, do you want, does that particular language of symbolism resonate with you or not? Exactly. Like the science of how it all works is scientifically true. It's just, do you want to have, do you want to put, are you, does that, does that symbolism resonate with you? If it does, great. You can just use it as a tool. Like, or you can, if you, it doesn't resonate with you, you can find a different, (laughs) you know, set of symbols to, to believe in. So I I agree. I mean, once again, it's, it's true. It's just not necessarily like literally true. It's not like it, they, like we're, 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 um, you know, totally, um, dependent on exactly astrology to, to know ourselves. <laughs> well, no, there's a lot of other systems of symbols that you can use as well. That's just one of many systems that we can kind of tap into and play with mm-hmm. and it's not a yes it's not a yes or no it's just like how how much do you understand the the language and how much do you resonate with the metaphors mm-hmm. oh to- yeah i i like that you brought up the archetypes too because that's another one that you know i, I sometimes get questions about um because pulling from carl jung and People often, this is something in my opinion, and also I just got done like listening to this course. I recommend it to people listening and you as well. Uh, John Verveke's Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, amazing course. And and he brought up, it, yeah. he brought up this point that I always was I was always interpreting Jung doing it this way, but a lot of people misinterpret him in this sense, where people read about the archetypes. And they see it as this almost physical thing within themselves, within their mind. But the idea isn't that it's like this physical thing that's part of you that you bring out. It's this thing that that you you read like you see about and you read about and you start acting upon the archetype. It's not that the archetype is within you, it's that the archetype is out there within the collective, and you see that and you bring your psyche into that space. So it's a much different thing than it literally being within you than it being out there in the collective space and you act upon it. That's where like the, you know, like the, the hero's journey is, is, you know, based off that, based off those archetypes as well. And that's, that's the most common one we see throughout myths throughout history and seeing how it's those types of myths and those stories, you know, kind of like astrology has a long history as well. 
we see how those stories are placed throughout history. And there's something to read within that because those stories, those archetypes are within are in like the collective space that's in the network of humans that we're going to be pulling from, whether we want to admit it to ourselves or not, because those in that space, kind of like the point I made earlier, they come into our social structures. So when they're in our social structures, you are acting upon those, whether you want to accept it or not. But like, once you be, have the awareness of it, you're like, okay, well, how, how is this making me affect, affect me in the world? And, and kind of seeing that influence of things. I think that's, that's the point to see and kind of connect it to somewhat more to our conversation is those are the metaphors. That's why poetry is so important. That's why I like the written words are so important and various, all these various forms of art are so important because they're all getting at the same thing. They're all alluding to the same idea of cultivating that wisdom within yourself to then express it into the world of how you want to express it and getting, you know, basically it gives you an opportunity to become who you want to be. And I think that's like the important point too. I wish people would see more because, you know, to kind of like give you a question about this is we see in a lot of the, you know, I consider myself a lover of science as well. Cause I think there's a lot of mystery in science. Um, but a lot of what we see in, you know, atheist crowds and atheist crowds that are called, you know, call themselves part of the scientific community. They want to dismiss anything that gets into the myth space as crazy BS stuff we need to move away from. But at the end of the day, that's still, they're still doing the thing. That's what I get frustrated by. They're still doing that. This is a myth they're creating. And it's, it's, I just think it's, um, why I also wanted to bring you on is it's like this art space, the use of metaphor, the use of myth is something foundational to us that we are constantly doing. And to the idea of escaping it is the idea of almost just escaping being human, in my opinion. But yeah, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on that. I mean, uh, first of all, yes. I mean, I think that the um, the the in the space of our psyche, the inner space of our psyche, and to break to get even further, the the collective unconscious is such a vast, mysterious place that we don't we haven't even scratched the surface of understanding. You know, the obviously Carl Jung laid an amazing foundation down in terms of how the inner world interfaces with the outer world and the overlap. I, I, I mean, I think that there's no doubt that there is a relationship between consciousness and external reality, you know, uh, not, not, not to say that, Oh, your, your thoughts create your reality and it's that easy, right? you know, but there's absolutely a relationship between the, the inner psyche and the outer world reality that you experience and that and that's on an individual level and that's on the level of mythology and archetypes and where these archetypes come from these are all things that exist within each individual or maybe we're all tapping into the same collective unconscious right and and that's why i think it's so important you know i I think that psychedelics are one of the most useful tools in studying the psyche because what, 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 you know, it's such, it's like putting a magnifying glass on consciousness to see what it, what it, what, what, what it does. So I think that the research in psychedelics um, is going to be very helpful for us to understand the human mind. I think the human mind is much 
deeper and more vast than we even can imagine. And I think psychedelics give us, give us a glimpse of this. And, uh, you know, you raised a point around, you know, the myths in, in society. And I think that we're, we're reaching a point now where a lot of those myths are break are breaking down because we've lost the core truth that's behind the myth. Like, oh yeah. Like Christianity, for example, I've watched some of, have you seen any of Jordan Peterson's uh, biblical lectures? Yeah, I have. Yeah. They're interesting. So fascinating because he gets into, from a psychological perspective, what these myths represented in the evolution of humanity. So, and, the, and, and these myths have been forgotten because like everything else that we're talking about in this conversation, the Bible ended up being taken at face value and being this literal set of laws to follow when in truth, it's just, especially the old Testament was what I'm talking about now where it there, there's, there's layers of mythology that represent our evolution as a species. And now that we're, you know, we've got, we we're, we're so far cut off from that. And I don't know if these old myths are going to easily come back when, you know, like, again, Christianity as an example has so much baggage just from a, I mean, look at all of the wars and all of the deaths and all of the trauma that's been inflicted upon humanity in the name of Christianity. Uh, It's going to, you know, it's got, it's, it's going to be hard to come back from, from that stuff. Totally agree. So how do we, so how do we like preserve the underlying truths and myths and not throw away the baby with the bathwater. And I think that's what the atheists are doing are like, Oh, that's that. Whenever I hear any sophisticated atheist making some kind of an argument, they're arguing against the, the, like the worst possible version of what that religion stands for. It's like, no, it's like, no, of course it's not like, no, like, it's not like you're right. Like they're totally right in a sense. Like, no, it's not some literal story like that. We should believe, like believe in blindly. Like they're right about that, but they're missing whatever like substance is beneath that artificial surface. Right. So I think that there's a lot of conflict in society right now where people are trying to fix the world and, you know, change things on the material level and kind of exert their force to make the world a better place. But I think that the external world is a result of like laws are downstream of philosophy and philosophy is downstream of mythology, right? So like the underlying you know, force behind the legal system, the political system, the economic system. These are all influenced by belief systems that predate the actual laws. And over time, a myth becomes a philosophy, which becomes, you know, a a legal system, et cetera. Right. That's that's kind of how it grows. So my whole thing now is like, well, instead of trying to fight 
on the material level, how do we create stories and myths for a new future that can inspire the laws and the politics, et cetera, of the future. Cause without that foundation of that, that deep, like kind of like shared belief system that comes from really comes down to stories. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't have a foundation to stand on. So that that's kind of where I think art is and mythology are more important than ever, because I think that they really are setting the foundation for whatever system or society comes after. Yeah. No, I, I love the way you put all of that. Cause I think you nailed it. And I, I'll kind of like add to that where seeing that, that how the, the mythology influences the law is like, I can, I can even use an example of, you know, in the U S we're all about individual rights. We want to believe very strongly in free will. These are kind of our foundational American things. And we see this in the culture, uh, you know, obviously our economic system influences that, but the economic system was also influenced by this idea that you are, you have individual rights and you have free will. So you get to do what the fuck you want and all this stuff. But the, a lot of that influence, for example, the founders were influenced by the philosopher, John Locke, who was John Locke influenced by the religions of that time period, the mythology in that time period. You see it in his philosophical work. The idea of free will is very much a, it's a, it's within the Christian doctrine, which we can also, you can also argue, you know, how much that Christian doctrine was also influenced by philosophy, blah, blah, blah. But also, you know, a lot of our stuff comes from Greek philosophers and, and kind of add to that myth point though, to branch off of what I'm talking about. Socrates is, it was known for, I think, I don't know if the term for it for that time period I don't know if they started using Soma yet. I think it was Soma, but he's, he's like documented of using Soma, which was basically this psychedelic, likely, we don't know for sure, but likely a very like psychedelic brew. Um, that's, he was definitely within the world of mythology within his philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, well, even, even I would even say, cause I think Socrates and Plato, um, were known to have gone to the, um, the Eleusinian mysteries. Oh yes, that's you, that's if, the term I was looking for. With those. Yes, it's exactly what I was yeah. trying to allude to. I couldn't remember the name. So I'm there glad was you said a, that there was a there was a tradition in ancient Greece called the Eleusinian mysteries. Yes, which was this place a few hour, you know, not far outside of Athens, I believe. And every year they would do these secret ceremonies. Yeah. And you, I'm pretty sure you could only do it once. I'm sure you're only allowed to do it once. Yeah, and you would right. usher you into this ceremony and they put on this big, um, it was, it, I think it was essentially trying to mimic your own death and rebirth. And there was a, there was, there were psychedelics involved. And I mean, talk about a cool use of psychedelics, you know, I mean, now people, there are ceremonial aspects to it. Um, hopefully that, you know, that's how people can experience them. But this was like something where it was built into the culture and society and you really didn't know what to expect. And you'd go in and then you'd drink this thing and there would, you'd go through this whole experience and then you'd come out the other end and you'd be like, what the fuck? And it was like, absolutely like a spiritual experience. Absolutely. And you know, I don't think I don't think that that's discussed enough that people like Socrates and Plato had gone through 
these ceremonies that showed them a new way of thinking. So I think it's it's not a stretch to say that you know Greek philosophy, which is the foundation of modern thought, essentially, um, was in fact influenced by mysticism and even psychedelics. Absolutely. And because I don't remember, I know, because I know Socrates was documented going there. And since Socrates was, I, I'm assuming Plato did as well. And Plato's foundational idea was the realm of forms. But the realm of forms is essentially very much this archetype idea. That is the archetype idea. It is tapping into that idea of, oh, there is this Although it's the very introduction of this idea, because Freud still gets the gets the nod for being like, yeah, we have this subconscious going on, but underneath us that's influencing us all the time. But Plato really kind of introduced that idea of there's this invisible space that we can't see, but we, for lack of a, I might not be expressing this the best, but we feel it. We feel that sense. Uh, not because I don't really want to get into explaining the realm of forms too much because it's not important for what I'm trying to say. The Platonic ideals, right? yeah, yeah. Those are like those those archety- those are essentially archetypes existing. But it's that idea of Plato was also, you know, Plato was also influenced by mysticism. Whether he, I like I said, I wish I remembered if he did the basically the the ritual that Socrates did. I'm pretty sure. I'm I'm pretty. I'm sure pretty he sure did. he did as well. But yeah. either case, even if he wasn't, he was extremely, very heavily influenced by Socrates. Plato even admitted that to himself. He was the disciple of Socrates. Um, so following that idea, it's like we that's we can pinpoint these various segues throughout history, but also seeing the connection of philosophy, how philosophy influenced the, the scientific space. Like the scientific method didn't all of a sudden just appear out of thin air. It was this like slow development. I think the name of the philosopher... Like, ah, uh, fuck. Theraclitus? Anyway, I, I know his philosophy. He had this idea that everything was essentially water, but it, it was this introduction that we had of these, like, we have these few lines of this one philosopher talking about everything being water, but within that, we see this rationality really start like this. We see a rationality form within the human mind. It's kind of like our first distinct written form of rationality someone going through an argument it's the first time we have that that is the introduction of the scientific method so we're seeing all this connection of ideas that humans have and this influence of mysticism within those ideas and then how those influence beliefs and how it creates structures it's just that fascinates me and it gives me a sense of wonder and i just i see so often especially nowadays where you have, you know, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, you have like the atheistic community, the scientific community, the spiritual community, everyone wants to like separate from themselves. It's like, no, we, everyone has a piece of the puzzle. You are all talking about this very important piece, but what's also really important is to not create the binary. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with this community. This is who has it right. It's like, no, they're, they're connected and they're all pulling from something very important, which is why I, you know, to kind of make my point about this is I, I, I'm drawn to, to the people that discuss that. And they seem to be connect, trying to connect as many dots as possible. Not everyone's going to be perfect. That's inevitable of being human. But yeah, just I really find it important to try to connect as many of those dots within those various spaces we have and seeing those connections, because I think that's like really important for not only understanding what it is for humans and where we are, but 
tries to bring this conversation full, full circle is it really helps influence how we create things because you're still, that is getting to something what it is to be human. Um, but I'm also glad you just made me think about this because you brought up psychedelics because I was going to ask you this question anyway, but psychedelics as that tool I see is also a very important tool, especially because, you know, people like Socrates basically did that shit and psychedelics for me, it, it's that opportunity to see the structures break down for me. And it's that really humbling experience to see the structures break down, kind of see that and be like, okay, well, I don't really know what's real and what's for sure and what's true for sure. But man, I'm really curious about what I can know. And then it creates that space to go into the world. And I think that there's something really important about that, that taps into what the mystical experience is for a lot of people and probably everyone to an extent and they just have a different way, I guess, of expressing it. But yeah. So all those things combined, it's truly fascinating. Yeah, man. I think it's, I think we're, um, I think a lot of the magic has been sucked out of the world, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, cause I think that we're talking about the, you know, the magical thinking that inspired the philosophies that our society is based on. And in a lot of ways, when anything goes on too long, unchecked, it runs out of steam. Right. Yeah. Like look at, um, I'll, I'll just, I'll make another like artistic reference to like, look at, look at, look at jazz music. And maybe that's a bad example. Cause there's, there's some great jazz music today as well, but by and large, a musical genre like jazz starts off with all kinds of, unbound creativity and experimentation and fun and magic. And it's like alive and it inspires the whole culture. And then over, over the decades, it changes and it's still exciting. And then at a certain point it starts to lose steam, right? right. And it starts to get a little bit flat or like the magic kind of gets sucked out of it. It becomes maybe a little bit too formulaic and expected. And then it becomes almost a cliche. Mm. Right. So I think that's what's happened to a lot of our systems, you know, I mean, like, like, you know, another philosophical uh, movement that inspired where we are today is obviously the enlightenment. And, uh, you know, I think we're just ideas like that. We're reaching the, the edge of the, power of these ideas to still provide us with new truths. And, 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 you know, the cracks in the, in the, in this philosophy are starting to show. Right. And it starts just to kind of become more formulaic and we, and we're, it's lacking inspiration. So psychedelics are a way to help infuse magic back into our culture, right? We need, cause I, we need new ideas. We need new belief systems. We need new myths and you need to be inspired to, regenerate a, a dying culture. And I can say from personal experience that psychedelics do help to ignite that open-minded sense of awe and wonder that can give birth to new ways of thinking and help infuse magic back into our society. That's just desperate for some kind of magic because everything totally. is so so tense and i think we need an element of magic to save us from this kind of 
you know, divisive um, position that we're in. Yeah, I I 100% agree with that because I really like your point about how, you know, use the jazz example. And it's almost like how when things start becoming too predictable, there it, it's I think I think this is something humans kind of collectively do, whether they feel it or not. It kind of just something that happens when like things become too predictable. We start, we want, we want to evolve. We're like, we need, we need something different. This is, I need, I need change. I need change. Cause we're always changing. I think that's like a foundational thing of being human too. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's like what it taps into. And I think we're seeing that a lot now in our modern culture within various spaces, whether it's media or it, I think especially this is a connecting to politics, you know, it's, um, it's it's like an uh, an issue comes up or a a a controversial issue comes up an event happens you know you have like the coronavirus you have afghanistan stuff just happened and this idea of like just you you see the the talking heads on both sides and the people that are on both sides and you just predict you already know what their position is going to be it's it's almost just inevitable there's i don't even need to read what their position is because i just know it's it's already there it's already happened in a sense because it's so predictable because there's no i don't know how to connect that to what i'm trying to say but it's almost like there's no nuance in between now that's so we're just on these polar opposite sides people have moved to the predictable within those spaces. Um, yeah. And, and that's where I do think to connect it to the psychedelic point, I'm not one to say psychedelics are the answer for everything. Cause I think, you know, meditation helps a lot and there's various avenues to, to find a way to do this, but just infusing a new sense of curiosity and, and wonder into what you do, especially even in politics, like people for some reason think that you need to demystify politics, but politics can be super interesting it really can. And I just want to, this is why I create content. And I know this is kind of like how your influence create t- content as well is trying to create that sense of wonder, whether it's you're questioning people's beliefs, trying to find a way to get people to question them or look at something in a new way, whatever it is, is like, we need that constantly be utilizing that. Otherwise we just become predictable and we become predictable, honestly, to be blunt about it. We've become fucking boring. And I think that's like the, what I'm trying to have us as humans collectively avoid doing is stop becoming boring. Cause we need to evolve and change. And I don't see a lot of that as much as I, I would like. Yeah. So yeah, good points. I'm with you, man. It's it's like a, it's like a relationship, you know. It's um, if you want to keep no, a, a long term relationship interesting, yeah. you got you gotta you gotta keep it interesting. You gotta you gotta try new things. You gotta you know need a little chaos. Have have fun together. <laughs> take trips together. Yeah, do do uh, experience novelty together. Mm-hmm. And because um, yeah, I mean, unless we're having fun together, it's okay to debate. It's okay to right, especially on the political level, right? Like you're. You know, I I work on the art, the artistic level when there's a there's a room for a lot of um, different opinions. There's room for them all. Like one art movement does not contradict another. It does in a in a sense, but there's they can coexist happily and acknowledge that's different. But I see that what's cool about that on the political level, it's a little bit different. Things 
are a little more binary. We need to have the law needs to say this and not this. So by nature, it's a little more divisive. But how can we still approach it with that sense of there's room for this kind of thinking. There's room for this kind of thinking. We have to make some compromises to make sure this works for the most amount of people and not vilify each other for having different beliefs. It's like if I, if there's, if there's an artist who has a completely different approach than me, and there's many of them, you know, my reaction is not to vilify them for having a different perspective and approach and technique. You can look at that and say, Oh, interesting. That's, it's interesting how you came to those conclusions. And, you know, one of the two will win out in the marketplace of ideas and people will resonate with one or the other or both. So we need to soften our approach in the political space a little bit and be accepting of ideas that contradict our own and be open-minded enough to try to understand those ideas without making someone the bad guy. (laughs) Totally agree. Um, But yeah, I think, yeah, I feel like that's a good, good closing thought. And now I want to give you this opportunity to also any final words and then also let people know where to find you, why to find you. And I'll also be obviously linking your stuff, but some closing moment thoughts. Thank you. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. This is a a fun conversation. Um, My main... Yeah. My main place to be found is on Instagram at words are vibrations. And uh, my podcast is called homesick alien club. And I have a new book. I have a new book coming out in a few weeks. It's a collection of poetry and memes. And it's like the the first collection of poetry and memes. And you can pre-order that book now uh, through the link on my Instagram page. And, uh, and yeah, it's good to speak to everybody. Cool. Yeah, it was a great convo and thanks for coming on. Okay. So that concludes the episode today. I hope you enjoyed. I thought it was a wonderful conversation and I'm looking forward to having many wonderful conversations in the future on the pod as I continue to kind of take this more interview approach, but also I would like to, we're going to still be releasing solo episodes and also lots of solo episodes in the podcast or the bonus episode feed and much more experimentation there but yeah i hope you enjoyed this conversation like i said check out all of james's stuff and tune in next time but it's time for you to get the fuck out my lab right (laughs) 